morning, Grove Church. That's a wonderful song that we sung at the beginning, talking about God's promises and his faithfulness. And uh, we didn't even call each other this morning, coordinate that or nothing crazy. Uh, but that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to speak a little bit about um, God's faithfulness, his truthfulness. You know, we've been going through this series on the pillars of our our faith, you know, these core foundational doctrinal truths. And we've covered a lot of truths from the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Um, Matt talked about a few different things last week and, and the week before. And so we want to talk a little bit about some of the attributes of God, and that's, that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. So I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. Does anybody here trust what politicians say? Lawyers, anybody like that? We need to talk later. And there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason. Um, because I'll pick on politicians. They, they make promises. Uh, trust me, believe in what I say, follow me, and I'll do all these great things. I'll change the world and everything will be better. Right? And we know that's, that's never the case. Um, try as we might, you know, that, that's just not, not what happens. And it's interesting because we keep falling into that. And being faithful to one's word is very important, right? That's one of the things that helps us understand who we can trust, you know, who, who's reliable and who's not. So, you know, just on a more personal level, if you have a person who's constantly telling you something or, oh, yeah, I'll do this or, yeah, I'll do that, and they never do, are you going to rely on them? Not really, right? I mean, it's just, it's just something that we, we know. We know will happen. But as you might imagine, the Bible's got a thing or two to say about truthfulness and about faithfulness. And that's some of what we're going to talk about this morning. There's a couple of terms I want us to be familiar with before we go into, into the actual meat of the Scripture. And... As you, as you know, if uh, we, we've talked about Hebrew and, and Greek words and things like that, the, the original language, oftentimes they carry with them very significant meanings, right? Think about uh, the word shalom. Uh, you, you may be familiar with that. It, it's essentially the, the Hebrew word that brings along with it a sense of, of peace, uh, completeness, perfection, and it's got some other meanings, but typically when people think of shalom, it's like, it, it's all going to be good, and, and that's all it is. Now, that is implied in there, but there's a lot more meaning to it, and that's what we kind of get with a lot of these, these other languages that the scripture was originally written in. Now, one of the other words in Hebrew that is extremely important is one called berit, and that is a Hebrew word that essentially means a, an alliance, a pledge, a contract, an allegiance, a covenant. It carries with it all those different meanings. A lot of it depends on what context you're in of which one of those really applies. If we look at the Greek, when the Greek writers translated from the Hebrew, they used a word, uh, diakathe to essentially bring that meaning. And that has the same 
essential meaning of, of a covenant, of a promise, of a pledge, an alliance, something like that. So, and a covenant as well. So those were the original words from the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Middle Ages, as the scripture translators were translating into Latin, they chose to take that word covenant and they translated that testari. And testari literally means to testify or speak the truth. And as you might imagine, testari is what gives us the word testament. Right, so the Old Testament, the New Testament. So that's kind of the, the lineage of these words that are, are more familiar to us. Now, as we, as we start talking about things like testaments and covenants, those might seem like just foreign terms to us. Right, but I explained a little bit about what they mean, and they're, they're actually still with us today. Right, they're, those things about the pledges and the contracts and the covenants that we make. Just a few examples from our, our modern world, right? Somebody has a last will and testament. Essentially, them saying, this is what I promise to do when I die or how I want things to happen. There is the marriage covenant. You know, it's, it's not used quite that often where people talk about the marriage covenant, but that's what it is, right? A man and a woman come together, become husband and wife, and they make a covenant. For, the, for their vows to, to love, cherish, to honor each other, and, and different things like that. A little more business-like, if you bought a house, you made a covenant, right, with a mortgage company. They give you something, you promise to pay that back. If you're in the workforce, you made a covenant with your employer. Your employer put out a job position and they say, well, here's our terms. We promise to pay you a certain amount of money if you do a job, right? Um, folks who aren't in the workforce, like the young folks, maybe you have something like that in your school with a extracurricular program or sports, you know, something like that. You keep your grades up, they let you play the sports. You know, those are pledges you make. Those are agreements, contracts, covenants that we make. So as you can see, it's not really such a foreign concept when we start talking about these words, right? But what is the problem with all these, all these agreements that we make with each other, the, these covenants, so to speak? Well, the obvious one is they're made by sinful people, right? We're all sinful people. We don't intend, we don't always mean to go back on our word or, or break our word, but we do. You know, um, when, when we joined this church, when Maya and I joined this church, we made a covenant with this body, with all of you, you know, that we would abide by certain guidelines, you know, live a godly life, um, hold scripture as the ultimate authority, you know, different things like that. When I became an elder, I made a covenant with all of you that I would shepherd you, disciple you, uphold and guard the doctrine things like that, right? And unfortunately, because I'm a sinful person, um, I don't always hold up to that. I have competing desires. Um, quite honestly, I get lazy sometimes, and I miss discipleship opportunities 
because I just think, well, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that later. I'll do it later. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. And I just don't. So, you know, it's one of those things I, I get personally convicted by that I need to do better. And we do that to each other. You know, that's probably one of the more egregious examples there is our just everyday life where we make commitments to each other and we don't really follow through on them because we have conflicting natures, desires. Uh, if you think about our society in general, right, our, our um, culture out there, there's a lot of people who, it's social media, news, advertisements, whatever, are always trying to influence us, basically lie to us, and tell us, hey, if you believe this, or you do this, or you buy this product, everything's going to be great. You're going you're gonna to be better. You're going to love it. They make promises that they can't uphold, they can't deliver on, right? And so it's something that we're, we're surrounded by. So it's, it's no wonder we sometimes have trust issues, right? Because everybody's always trying to lie to us or persuade us or coerce us in some way. You know, going back to the example of some of these covenants, you know, some of the more recent things, uh, examples, you know, there's the covenant you make with your employer, right? They've recently, I think we all experienced this, added new conditions of employment. You want to stay employed here, you need to do certain things like get vaccinated for COVID. Not to get political or anything, I'm just using that as an example, right? Um, where people can, can alter those things because of cultural changes. Which is one of the reasons why Scripture is so important. But now we look at that, right, the, the compare and contrast of, we look at how we think about and how we experience these covenants, agreements, and promises in our day-to-day lives, right, with each other. And then we have to think about the other side of that, right? What is, how does God fit into that? How are God's covenants, his promises, his agreements with us different? The most obvious one is that God's not going to break his promises because he can't. And so that's something that is true and we can rely on. If you would, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament this morning, as you might have guessed. Um, If you would, turn with me to Jeremiah 10.10. And we're going to go through a couple of the the promises, the covenants, the agreements that God made in the the Old Testament, right? Which, on, on a broad scale, the Old Testament was essentially when God called Israel to himself to be his people, to be his chosen people, and that he would bless them, right? And part of what went into that is you obey you will be blessed. And, and we've seen through, through the Old Testament where kings rejected or Israel in its entirety rejected the Lord and bad things happened like the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, pretty bad things. But this is, this is what is said about God's truthfulness 
The prophet Jeremiah says in 10.10, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus shall you say to them, The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Daniel, can you bring up that first slide about God's truthfulness, please? Thank you. So, in Jeremiah we see the Lord is the true God. And what, what does that mean? How is he the true God? And what does it mean for him to be truthful? One of the things that we have to, and, and this starts to get a little bit circular in the reasoning because if you think about our finite minds and how we, we like to try to define things, it, it gets a little difficult because ultimately we are not the ones who define things. As we see in the first point, you know, this, this talks about why God is the true God and why he is truthful in what he says. God in his own being defines and conforms to what, I, what the idea of a true God should be. So if we think about God's omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his infinite communicable and incommunicable qualities, he is the only one who is capable of saying, this is who I should be, right? He, he is the one who says what truth actually is. And by being God, because of those infinite qualities that he has, he's the one that actually shapes what truth and reality is. He's infinite in his power, his wisdom, his goodness, his knowledge. So there's, there's nothing that he's going to learn or nothing that he doesn't know. Right? So he already encompasses all of the truth. We cannot define what the true God must be like, although we like to do that, right? We've talk, we talked about this before of us trying to put God in a box. If you think a couple of weeks ago, uh, when I was talking through, I think it was the Apostles' Creed. I'm drawing a blank right now. But remember that part that um, I read out of Al Mohler's book with that church in, I think it was Tucson, Arizona, who said, God is love, period. That's us trying to define who God is. That's us basically just saying, well, no, we, we like this part of God, but we don't like all the rest of them. And... We can't do that, right? It's God because he is infinite and he is already complete and perfect. So his truth is perfect. His knowledge, his way of thinking is perfect. Ours isn't because we're finite, broken, sinful people. Due to his His qualities, his already knowing everything, His His there's nobody that can teach him, right? It's... um. Think about the book of Job, where the Lord said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who are you to counsel me? 
right? Although we try to do that a lot. So he's never mistaken his understandings of the world or reality. He is always right in what he thinks and what he says. And because of that, he always does what he promises. Why would he not? If he already has all the wisdom, he has all the power, he has all of the knowledge, and if he says he's going to do something, what would persuade him or coerce him to not do that? There's nothing that could. There's nothing that would. And so if all his promises are true, then we must also affirm that his words are also true. And what that basically means is that if all the promises he makes in the scriptures are true, then everything else that is not a promise is also true. Because again, why would it not be? Why would he say something that is not true? There is no reason for that. So those are some of the things that we need to think about and think through as we think about why is God truthful? What does it mean for him to be truthful, to be faithful? And essentially, if our worldview, the way we view things, our, our values, our motives, our, our morals align with God's, then we have a true view of the world and reality. And we run into a lot of situations where that's not the case. Again, the one where somebody just saying God's love, period. That's not a correct biblical worldview. We, we can't do the the buffet-style God where we take what we like and the rest of it we just want to ignore and, and get rid of. Because that's not truly who God is. So if we think about this, you know, that he is the true God. He cannot lie. He does not lie. There is no reason for him to deceive us or to lead us astray. And all of his promises he will keep, then obviously it's he's somebody that we can trust. Daniel, can you bring up the logo, please? Thank you. So I just wanted to kind of cover some of those things to, to help us get a little bit of a, a framework around why God is um, truthful, why he is faithful. Now, obviously, that, that was just a couple of bullet points. There are entire studies that people do on um, God's faithfulness, his characters, his attributes, some of what we're doing. So that was very much in a nutshell, and I hope it made sense. Um, but I probably wouldn't, I probably couldn't do that very much justice in the amount of time I spent on it, but I wanted to just kind of cover some things there. So hopefully it, it made sense in what I was saying. So if we think about promises that were made in the Old Testament and New Testament, I just want to go through some examples. Um, we're going to cover a little bit of scripture here, and I'm not going to ask you to turn to all of them, but some of them I will just so you can read them as we start getting a feel for you know, what basically God has to say in here. You know, because this is a book of truth. It's also a book of promises, right? When God speaks, he speaks the truth. That's all he can speak. He can't speak anything else but the truth. So a couple of the examples. Um, if you would, turn with me to Exodus 24.3. I'm sorry, um, 7. Exodus 24.7.
And this is Moses actually doing this. And this is after God is confirming the covenant that he's made with Israel. Right? So starting in verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you and according with all these words. So that was where God was confirming with Moses and the people of Israel his covenant with them that they would be the chosen people, right? That he called them to himself that if they followed his word, he would bless them. And so there we see, you know, the, the covenant that God made in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, so to speak. We have another promise, covenant, that God made with the people of Israel, actually with Abraham and Sarah, if you want to be more specific about it. And what were those? So Abraham and Sarah were well advanced in years, right? And the Lord said to Abraham, you know, that um, you'll have a son. You and Sarah will will have a child. And as you can imagine, we don't really know how old they were, but they were well, well advanced in years, well past childbearing years. So, you know, it was an opportunity God made a promise, would Abraham and Sarah believe that? And they did. Right? So we see that, and the result was Isaac. And in Genesis 22, 16 through 18, you can turn there if you want to. Genesis 22, 16 and 18. And this is so essentially, let me back up. I got ahead of myself. I apologize for that. So the Lord promised to Abraham and to Sarah they would have a son. They had a son, Isaac, right? Isaac was delivered. God's covenant, his promise was true. That was their only child. Later, years later, the Lord said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and... Follow me. You're going to sacrifice him, right? So the Lord had made a promise that Abraham would have descendants. But now he was asking, trust me and follow me and sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham trusted in the Lord's faithfulness and in the truth that the Lord would always keep his promises. And we know that Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac, that he was willing to trust the Lord, and the angel of the Lord told him, okay, stop, you've been obedient. And then we pick up here in verse 16. The angel of the Lord, well, actually, I'll go back to 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offsprings 
as the stars of the heavens and as the sands on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So again, we see God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham was obedient. He was faithful to what God told him. He was obedient. And then the Lord made another promise to Abraham out of this, right? That your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. If you've ever been out somewhere where there's no light pollution and you look up at the sky, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, you can just see, I mean, a multitude all across the sky. So I imagine, you know, that's what Abraham's thinking after this. You know, after he's been obedient to the Lord and the Lord's made this promise to him and he's just looking up at the sky and he's like, wow, there's going to be all kinds of people coming from my line. And... More importantly, that all the nations will be blessed. And we'll get to that later. One thing I did want to point out, though, is notice what the Lord says here. In, I lost my place, I apologize. In 16, the Lord said, By myself I have sworn think that's interesting that he says that by myself why would he do that is there something else that he could have sworn by that was higher that was more powerful he didn't have to say that obviously but that was I think the Lord's way of confirming this is a promise I'm making to you by the highest possible power, my own name, which again is truthfulness, right? In him there's no deceit. There's no reason for him to change or go back on what he says. So I just find it interesting that he said that, that by my name I have sworn. And we see that in other places in Scripture too, but that's just one of the examples where when the Lord's speaking to the the prophets and he's making a statement, he sometimes says that by my name, by the highest power, by the highest truth, I swear this will happen. One of the other promises in the Old Testament, and there's lots of them, right? But in Genesis 3.15 was probably the first, well, not probably, it is, the first one that the Lord made, the first covenant. Right, and if you remember what that is, that's in the Garden of Eden, where the Lord, after Adam and Eve have sinned, and the Lord says, you know, there will be enmity between you and the woman. You will bite his heel, he will crush your head, which is promising the Messiah, right? And so that promise was made way back when, and he kept it, which leads us into the New Testament. And essentially, you know, the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was that the Lord would call Israel, his people, call them to himself. He would bless them if they were obedient. And 
made various other promises to individuals and to the nation, but that was it. There in Genesis, he promised the new covenant, the new testament, and that was that a savior would come and finally save his people. So in a nutshell, that is the New Testament promise covenant. But there's lots of different promises that the Lord's made in the New Testament. And I just want to go over a few of them. And I'm, I'm going to say which verse it is and, you know, book and verse. And I'm going to read it. If you're taking notes, feel free to jot these down because it's really great to go back and to read these and to just rest in the assurance of promises that God's made us. Uh, there's about nine of them, so don't, don't try to follow me. But if you want to, if you want to do Bible drill, feel free. Um, but there's several of them I'll read. So these are some of the more specific pledges that the Lord has made in the New Testament which is essentially the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. The Lord promises us abundant life. In John 10.10, 10, this is Jesus speaking, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's talking about his sheep, his people. So he's promised us abundant life in him. He's promised that no one will snatch us from his hand. Again, in John 14, 2 through 3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If there were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. So again, it's the promise of that hope that we have that he will return, right? That he will take us with him, that it's not all in vain. All things work for the good of those who love him. That's out of Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. So again, the promise is not that everything's going to be happy, not that nothing's going to go wrong, but it's essentially that through everything, God is still working, right? He promises that you may be suffering, you may be going through something. We do live in a broken and a fallen world, but he will work all things, good or bad, for good, if we're working for his purposes, right? If we're following his word and his will. He will send the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16 through 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. 
he's promised to send the Holy Spirit when Jesus ascended, right, that the Comforter would be with us, that we would have the Holy Spirit. That's what Mark says as his people, right, and that he will guide us and open our eyes to this, the truth of God's word. Because as he says there, the people in the world can't see God's truth because they do not have the Holy Spirit. He'll provide a way out of temptation. That's 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. Again, going back to we have, we're, we're sinful people living in a fallen world, right? Um, I know Matt talked about this a few weeks back about antinomianism, um, basically the, oh, well, we're just sinners. Let, it's it's going to happen, whatever. God promises that he has given us his word. He's given us his law. We are to follow it, and he will not let us be tempted beyond our endurance of it, there's always a way out, right? And what is that? That is prayer. That is praying for the Lord to deliver you from that in one form or fashion. And again, it's according to his sovereign will and his purposes of what that may look like. But again, he's not going to just abandon us. And on that note, he who began a good work in you, right? That's Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we look at these different promises that he's made, right? He's promised that he will give us a way out. He's promised that he will he will not leave us. He's, he's preparing a place for us. Um, no one will snatch us out of his hand. Right? God's made all these wonderful promises to us in the New Testament. And essentially, that last one that I read, you know, he's, he who began the good work, right? When the Holy Spirit changed our hearts, regenerated us, and we're on that, that sanctification journey. There, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. But we can look at these truths and know that the Lord is with us. What he started, he's going to finish it. Right? So we, we don't need to feel abandoned or that you know God's left us. No matter how dark or bleak things may seem. Second Timothy 2.13 puts it this way. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So again, being people being sinful people in a, in a fallen world, we're going to be faithless. We're going to miss the mark. Be that with each other or in trying to be obedient to God's word and his will. 
right? We know that. It's, it's just the way we are. Try as we might. Try the best we can. But we do know that he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. We go back to the, the bullet points about God's truth and how he is the true God. Again, there's no reason for him to not be faithful. To not be faithful would be to deny himself. Because all he is is, is, all he is is truth. But you know what I mean? Not that he's only truth. He's got all the other attributes and everything with him. But there's no darkness. There's no deceit. There's nothing in him. When we talk about this attribute of God, it's only truth. So we can trust the promises that he's made through the Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament ones are fulfilled. We have the New Testament ones now that we live in. And we can look back at the Old Testament ones as assurance in those times of doubt, in those times of turmoil, that God was faithful in all these things for his people. And as we go into the New Testament, we're grafted in, right? And we can look in our own lives and the lives of others where God has been faithful, where God has kept his promises. And again, you know, because... Like Hebrews says, you know, let us hold fast to the confession um, without hope, for he is faithful. Yeah, sorry, I got, that's, that's the wrong one. Second Timothy 2.13, apologize. Um, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself, right? So that, that's not an excuse for us, though, not to try to, to run the race, to try to be faithful to God. Any of you guys who were in the thanklings, um, Jesse, could you bring up the slide, the AW Pink slide? Any of you guys who were in thanklings with us a year and a half ago, I guess it was, remember we went through the book Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. He was a theologian from the 1800s, very smart guy. Um, I think he was in Cambridge or something like that. And this is something he says about God's faithfulness. Uh, it's, it's in a book, uh, Gleanings of the Godhead. And he says, God is true. His word of promise is sure. In all his relations with his people, God is faithful. He may be safely relied upon. No one has ever yet really trusted him in vain. We find this precious truth expressed almost everywhere in the scriptures. For his people need to know that faithfulness is an essential part of his divine character. Again, going back to that, he is truth, he is light, he only speaks truth. So that faithfulness of him being faithful to what he says is, is a, it's an essential part of who he is. Continue. This is the basis of our confidence in him. But it is one thing to accept the faithfulness of God as divine truth. It is quite another to act upon it. God has given us many exceedingly great and precious promises. But are we really counting on his fulfillment of them? Are we actually expecting him to do for us all the things he said? Yes, we are. Remember that part I read out of uh, Moeller's book? Toward the end, we're like, 
we're not expecting some big guy in the sky to come down and fix everything. That's God's promise to do that. Why would you not believe that? Right, but that's, that's some of the things that we, we wrestle with and that we encounter here. But truly, I mean, we are actually expecting him to do for us all that he said he's going to do. We do expect he will return as he promises in the New Testament. He will fix things. Back to A.W. Pink. Are we, resting, are we resting with implicit assurance on these words? He is faithful, that promised. Thank you, Jesse. That last part there out of Hebrews, and this is the one where I got ahead of myself, the full scripture of that, that's Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, we see through here, God being the God of truth, God declaring that he is faithful, God declaring that he will keep his promises. Being sinful people, we know that we won't. But just like Scripture tells us, be holy because I am holy, and those are two different kinds of holies entirely. You know, we can never hope, think, or imagine to match God's holiness because, again, we're not God. But we still need to try to imitate that aspect, that quality of God. We need to try, we need to strive to imitate faithfulness and truthfulness. That's what we're called to in the scripture, amongst other things. But we're called to to be different. We're called to, to essentially speak the truth in everything we do, to be light in a dark world. In a world like we looked at previously that makes a lot of promises and breaks them. He makes a lot of agreements and breaks them. You know, going back to some of those, you think about when we talked about the different kinds of modern-day covenants. You know, there are people who walk away from their marriage. It's a covenant that they've broken, right? Um, they break their word. They, us, I, we all do in one form or fashion. But it's not an excuse. We need to, again... Pray for the strength to to endure, to to be more like God every day. One of the things we've talked about, and I'm, I'm going to bring this in for a landing now. One of the things that we've talked about a lot as we've been going through this series is doctrinal truth, right? The pillars of our of our faith foundation. And we've used some examples of bad theology. We've talked about, you know, I've made a couple of references this morning. We have, unfortunately, local churches too that don't hold to, they don't hold to scripture, right? It gets to be where it's about a person and their agenda. we get where people say you need to act the way I do or you're not a Christian and you just need to leave 
or you got off mission, so we're kicking you off the bus. Whose mission did we get off of? Your mission or the Great Commission? Right? I mean, there, there's that. That is not biblical, kicking somebody out because they, they got off mission. Right? Um, my point being, we see a lot of bad theology, simply bad theology, and people pushing their own agendas in our churches. And unfortunately, what that does is that has impacts, that has effects on us. Right? We have churches that hurt people, that lie to people, take advantage of them. And that's not the way it should be. Right? But again, we start getting into that we can be faithless and not keep our promises. But that's why the word of Scripture is so important. That's why we need to know this. Because it's, it's essentially God that we can rely on. God who is faithful, even when we're not. But if we go back to and we look at these promises that we just read through the New Testament, if you're one of God's children, those are promises he's made to you. He's made to all of us. And he will keep them. Because he, he cannot not keep them. Because again, that's against his nature. So we know that God is truth. Right? We know that God is, is faithful. And there was a verse I was going to read, but I think I missed it. And we look at those promises in the New Testament. You know, all those ones that God has made to us. And this is probably one of the greatest promises, so to speak, because it's a covenant, right? Is Matthew twenty six twenty eight. And this is Jesus speaking, right? This is where he's having the Last Supper before his crucifixion, before his trials with, with his, his disciples. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Apologize. So the covenant of the New Testament that God would send a Savior for his people, that's Jesus affirming that promise, that covenant, that he is the fulfillment of that. At the very least, that's something we can rest in, right? Knowing that Jesus paid the price for our sin. Jesus has done what we could never hope to do, right? We, we could never hope to be right with God. The Old Testament leading up showed us that. You know, the people of Israel were God's chosen people, and they were still sinful, disobedient. They were still people. And we can look back on them and say, oh, wow, that's, they should have known better. We should know better too, right? Um, 
because we are God's people. We have his promises just like they did, and we still fall short. But fortunately, it's not our righteousness, no righteousness that we have that that covers us, that makes us right before God. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers us, that atones for our sin and makes us right with God. The scriptures tell us that, and just like every other promise that's made in scripture, that's the one we can rely on. And that's the one that should give us hope and give us faith to believe what God says. So with that, let us pray. Father, just thank you for this this word. Thank you for your promises. Um, just thank you for being who you are, being a God that we can trust, that we can fully rely on to know that you are faithful in every single promise, covenant, agreement uh, that you've made with us. Father, you are... You are God, and there is nothing above you. There is nothing that could make you change your mind or, or, or coerce you to go back on your word, Lord. We just we know that those are, those are truths. Just thank you that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our, our hearts to know that when you speak, you speak the truth. And thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ and the new covenant that we have for the redemption of our sins and for our salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.